Matthew chapter 6. And then Lord's Day 49 in the back of our blue uh, hymnal is number uh, page 61. We'll read the, the response together, the answer. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, I'll begin reading in verse 5 through verse 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word endures forever. Question and answer 124. Question and answer 124. Let's respond together. What does the third request mean? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means help us and all men to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any back talk. Your will alone is good. Help everyone carry out the work he is called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. We've been considering prayer in general, and of course the Lord's Prayer in particular, at this point in our catechism study, and we turn tonight to consider the line, Thy will be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we consider and think about at length the Lord's Prayer, not because it's a magic formula, we should also memorize and recite it, but it's not because it's, it's magic or some magic formula, but because in it we find God's wisdom for prayer. And in taking time to consider the phrases and even just the words, what we see is what God wants us to learn in this beautiful and important prayer that our Lord gives to us. We said as we set out on thinking about this prayer that prayer is communication with God and it has several aspects. Prayer normally begins with adoration, uh, adoring God and praising Him for who He is and what He has done. 
genuine adoration, confession, confession, uh, coming before God and understanding that he is holy and that we lack the holiness that we would need to draw near to his throne of grace and, and so we confess our sins. Thanksgiving, we do not want to be like those who do not honor God as he is or give thanks as Romans 1 says. So uh, our prayers ought to be filled with thanksgiving. Our prayers ought to give thanks to God for all that he has done. And then supplication, the, what we oftentimes usually first think about when it comes to prayer. Asking that God would be sovereign and that he would bless us and that he would attend to all of the situations for which we have no answers. Over which we have no control. That he would hear our prayers and often that he would heal those around us who are sick. Or that he would help those who stand in need. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. All in the name of Jesus Christ. All by the power of the Holy Spirit. All to the glory of God the Father. That's really how we think about prayer, communication with God in those ways. But it's more than that, isn't it? We talked about how prayer is also a means of spiritual growth and blessing. God bestows upon us the riches of his grace in Christ when we pray. It is, as John Calvin said, daily how we receive the benefits of Christ. God God pours out the blessing of sanctification as we come before him in prayer. So even though this is a a difficult spiritual discipline to develop, there is great benefit in doing so and thinking about prayer and learning about it and understanding what it is and what God is doing through it. As we learn more about prayer, it ought to motivate us to do it more, to pray that we might find blessing and to pray so that God might be glorified. With all that in mind, let's Turn then to consider this phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We will consider what it is that we mean when we speak of God's will. What is it that we mean when we speak of God's will? We'll think also about how heaven and earth differ in their obedience to God. And why that difference between earth and heaven motivates us to seek to honor God's will in all that we do. We In this prayer, of course, are speaking to our Father. It's good to to bear that in mind, especially as you study the prayer over a long period of time. Never forget that in the Lord's Prayer, we are addressing God who is our loving Father. But also remember that He is our Father in heaven. So you have these, these two glorious truths about God really in the way that we address Him. Our Father in heaven, He is a Father to us. He loves us. He cares for us. He has made us his own. But he is in heaven. He is transcendent. He is majestic. Transcendent and above. Uh, far away to us, from us in terms of his person and his divinity. But near to us in his love. Before we move towards him to ask that he make his will known and done in us. We acknowledge that he is the one who upholds all things. He's the one who preserves, who rules, the one who makes the rules. This is God, our Father in heaven. As we consider the will of God, that's something that a lot of people talk about a lot. And Christians often think about the will of God. It's something that confuses and worries and stresses many Christians. The will of God. The initial problem that many have is that they're unable to distinguish 
between what we would call the hidden or secret will of God and the revealed will of God. That's really probably the most basic distinction when it comes to God's will. There is part of his will that is hidden and secret. And then we can speak of his will that is revealed. You hear people talk like this. I think I'm, I'm right for this or that career, but I'm just not sure if it's God's will for me to do that. Perhaps you have experienced people talking this way. Something like this. I think I want to marry this person. I love her a lot, and she's a wonderful servant of Jesus Christ, but I don't know what God's will for me is. This is how we end up with anxiety, isn't it? Thinking about God's will in this way. There's, there's some secret plan that we have and that he has for us, and it becomes our Christian duty to uncover what that is. And there's some kind of subjective feeling that we're going to have when we are operating in accordance with that. But what I would like us to think about tonight and, and to Uh, come away with tonight is that to pray this line, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to do two different things with regards to these two different aspects of God's will, his hidden will and his revealed will. It is first to do this, to rest in the secret will of God, the hidden will of God, to rest in that. And second, it is to pray that God would further our obedience to his revealed will. So that takes both the aspects of God's will and does something different with both of them. The first is to rest in God's secret will, and the second is to pray that God would further our obedience to his revealed will. First, then, we are to rest. We are to rest in the secret will, the hidden will of God. In other words, we are to understand that God has decreed everything that is to come to pass, and nothing can change that decree. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, everything that was going to happen was decreed by God. It is is certain. It is sure. And when we pray this, thy will be done, we, we are praying that whatever may come to pass in our lives, whatever is part of God's will that will progressively be revealed over the course of our lives, we are asking God to give us the faith and the strength to rest in that. A wonderful example of this is found in Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, and, and there is a group of Christians who do not want to see the Apostle Paul go down to the city of Jerusalem. Everyone is expecting that the Jerusalem church will, uh, or the, the Jerusalem the Jewish leaders uh, will um, imprison Paul and possibly eventually kill him. But Paul the apostle is not going to stay away. He believes that God has called him to go to preach the gospel and to proclaim Christ. And he says in this passage, he ultimately believes he will die in Jerusalem. But that, that is okay. So the believers see Paul's insistence and then they just simply say, may the Lord's will be done. In other words, they, they let Paul leave and they say, may the Lord's will be done. There was a peace and a rest for these believers in knowing that nothing can happen apart from God's decreeing it, from God's declaring it. And from that peace and rest flows an ability to walk through this life, knowing that not everything may turn out the way that we want it. And that's okay. They had a peace and a rest in the will 
of God. There's a wonderful confession of this truth from an unlikely source in the Old Testament, King Nebuchadnezzar, who of course was, was humbled by God and, and basically lived for a, a number of years in shame and, and out of his right mind. And we read this in, in Daniel chapter 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? When we pray, your will be done, we are submitting ourselves to Whatever happens, God's will will be seen through. His decree will come to pass, and we are to rest in that. Job, Job had, of course, a time in his life, a season of his life of immense pain, unspeakable pain, and challenge, and trial. Job says this in chapter 23, speaking of God, He is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. But the entire book of Job is is leading up to the place where Job gets to a point where he says, I now understand who God is, and, and because of who he is, that whether he gives or whether he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I am to worship him. I am to serve him. I am to praise him. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And being, uh, having our minds renewed by Scripture is, is coming to the realization that there's, there's almost a therefore in between those two clauses, right? Our God is in the heavens. Therefore, he does whatever he pleases. We begin to realize what it means for God being a supreme being who is in the heavens. It means that he is the ruler, that he holds it all in his hands. He does all things according to his decree. And when we pray, your will be done, we're saying we're resting. We're resting in the decree of God. And whatever comes to pass, we know that he is doing it for the best result of his glory. And he will glorify his name in and through us. But then this prayer also deals with the revealed will of God. There's a wonderful verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29 that sort of deals with this distinction, what is revealed and what is hidden. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He's going to do what he does. He he has a decree that will not change. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. We recognize, of course, that God is going to do what he will do. The secret things belong to God. God is different than us. God is not like a human being. He doesn't change his mind, and he's in control of it all. The secret things belong to God. But whatever he chooses to reveal to us, that is what we, as his people, must treasure We must teach them to our children and we must hold fast to it and we must give our all in striving to obey what he says. Deuteronomy is not speaking about the subjective whims or or vague notions of what you think God is saying to you. 
It's speaking of the the definite and the sure testimony of God that has been given to those who are commissioned to receive it and then speak it to all of God's people. It's God's word. And in God's word, we find his will for our lives. So what is God's will? People are plagued by this question. I don't know the will of God and I want to know the will of God for my life. Here's an example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God, says the Apostle Paul. Your sanctification, your sanctification, the end of that passage will say, for God has not called you to impurity, but he has called you to holiness. This is the will of God, that you would be sanctified, that you would be evermore transformed to reflect the image of Christ. That's God's will for you. Other places in Scripture tell us what it is uh, that he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Micah chapter 6, very famous verse. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God's will for us and for our lives is that we would grow in sanctification. That we would grow in our knowledge and love and fear of him. It's only from that place that true gospel obedience can flow. As we grow in our knowledge and our love and our fear of him. This is one of the things that corporate worship addresses for us. All three things. We grow in our knowledge of God. We grow in our love of God as our emotions are heightened and we, and we sing his praises. We grow in our fear of God as we see more and more uh, who he is. That is where gospel obedience comes from. And the heart of the person who is seeking the will of God and seeking to honor the will of God is caught up in the, the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verses 34 and following. It says this, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. King David and and all faithful Israelites knew the commandments of God backwards and forwards. They knew what the law of God and the commandments of God said. Yet there is this plea in Psalm 119 that God would grant a greater understanding of the commandments of God. A greater understanding of his law and his will. And that is what we are praying for when we pray Your will be done. Give me a greater understanding of what it is that uh, you have commanded us to do. We are praying that we would grow in this knowledge of God's law, which would give way to further obedience. A good example of this would perhaps be the fifth commandment. Fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And you see how a deeper understanding of this commandment gives way to further obedience, more meaningful obedience. As a child, this is a a bare command. It's nothing more. It's it's a bare command, and, and you need to remind young children of it again and again and again. It's just a bare command. As as a teenager, this can sometimes be a a ruthless burden, tyranny. As a twenty-something, it can be mysterious and a challenge, right? But as you grow And you live the years of your life. And if God has blessed you to see the blessings of God in your family, you begin to understand why it is 
that God gives that commandment. And you begin to grow in your appreciation of the wisdom of God for it. And your deeper understanding of this commandment gives way to further obedience and to see the importance of why it is that you are to honor your father and your mother. Now, the family is not perfect and and not everyone gets to see this unfolding of the blessing of God. But for many, it is a wonderful blessing that can give way to deeper and fuller and more meaningful obedience. Thus, we cling to what it is that God reveals. The secret things belong to God. What he has revealed belongs to us and to our children forever. So we need not grope around trying to figure out what God's will is for our lives. He has told us. He has declared it to us, and we can rest in that and rest in uh, what he has summed up for us. Ephesians chapter 6 says it beautifully. It says, as servants of Christ... Be doing the will of God from the heart. Now, to many Christians, that will throw them into anxiety. They'll say, well, that's the problem. I don't know. I don't know what God's will is. But he has told us what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God, to seek the blessing of God and the grace of God and sanctification, to grow in our understanding of his commandments, which would give way to further obedience and a deeper appreciation for all the things that he calls us to do. Finally, the the revealed will of God is not just the the moral commandments, not just the laws that he gives in his word, but also his promises and his prophecies. He has promised that he is making all things new and that he is doing so in Jesus Christ. The Father's will for all of human history is summed up in the two comings of our Lord, the the first coming of Jesus Christ to deal with and to, to take away sin. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to come and to save his people and to make all things new. This is what God's will is for all of human history to save sinners and then to make all things new. The Father's will is summed up in the two comings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We rest then in the final hope that God gives to us for he has revealed it as his will for all things, for all things. That is what we mean when we acknowledge God's will. We submit to his hidden will and we ask for grace to live in conformity with his revealed will, his commands and his promises. And it goes without saying, but when we pray this, your will be done. When we pray this, we put our own will to the side, don't we? We put our own will to the side. We submit ourselves to God's will so that he might be glorified. Replacing God's glory as more important than our own. God's glory is more important than our own pleasure in this life. God's glory is our main concern. The majesty of God. But how can we do that? How can we as human beings trust that praying and and, and seeking for God's glory is, is something that we should be doing? How is it that we know we can pray your will be done because we know that that prayer has already been prayed. A prayer has already been prayed. And it was prayed, of course, by our Lord Jesus Christ who was in the garden and was about to go to the cross on the night that he was betrayed. And, and he prayed, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, But your will be done. And it is in Jesus Christ that we see 
that God has bound up our good and our blessedness and our salvation with his glory. That's why we can pray your will be done and and, and fully trust our God because he has bound up our salvation and our blessedness with his glory. Thus we know that we can seek the best result of his glory in our lives because he has given his son to show us how much he is willing to do to save us in the glorification of himself. We see at the cross the will of the Father to give his son to pour out his divine wrath and fury against sin upon his son. The unspeakable pain that he was going to go through was nothing compared to absorbing the holy wrath and fury of his father. Christ's prayer goes before us and his prayer motivates us to yearn for God's will to be done. When we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are recognizing that here below, God's will is not done. God's will is not kept. And that, in many ways, ought to break our hearts. We should lament. We should be in anguish over the fact that we live in the midst of God's will being ignored and disobeyed, both in our hearts and all all around us. God's will is not done. God's will is not done. Uh, kept. Thus we pray for his ultimate plans to come to pass, but also that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll consider that in the final part of this phrase. What is meant by in heaven? What is meant by in heaven? Well, some people have thought that it means your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. In the heavens. In other words, you look up into the heavens and what do you see? the sun and the moon and the stars and and they all work together in perfect harmony to give the universe all that it needs, all of the light and the warmth on planet earth that we need to survive. And God's will is always perfectly done. Things seem to be working together in perfect harmony. Uh, some, Some mornings your car doesn't start, right? Especially in these winter months that are coming up. Some mornings your car won't start. But you've never had a morning... In, in your lifetime, where the sun didn't burn. Maybe the sun was hiding behind a few clouds, but there was never a morning where the sun didn't burn. God's will is always being kept in the heavens, in the heavenlies. And so some people think, perhaps that's what this means. May God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in the heavens, essentially. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven... Uh, we are saying that it, it has to do with the supernatural realm. And really, we're talking about where God is and the, the, the angels are ministering to God. And we're talking about the obedience that is perfectly executed in God's presence. There is no sin in heaven. And so there is no disobedience in heaven. God's will is always perfectly kept and executed all the time with a willingness that we cannot fathom while we are here below. There are angels who minister in heaven and do all that God commands. Psalm 103, it says this, Bless the Lord, O O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. There are angels in heaven who perfectly obey the will of God all the time. 
angels, the elect angels who minister to God, uh, can't disobey and never will disobey. But it's not just angels who do the will of God and keep the will of God perfectly. It's, it's all those who die in the Lord and are now in the presence of Christ. Those who die in Christ and their souls are resurrected and are now uh, in the presence of our reigning Christ, they perfectly keep the will of God. We read about this in Revelation chapter 7. Speaking of those who are in the presence of Christ, who have passed uh, from this world and have been resurrected, their souls have been resurrected. Revelation chapter 7 says this, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them, with his presence. So when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are thinking of the fact that in heaven there is no sin, and whether we are speaking of the angels ministering in God's presence or those who have been raised to spiritual life with Christ, they obey God's will without hesitation and perfectly. This is what is going on in heaven, and knowing that this is what happens in heaven should propel us towards three things sorrow, rejoicing, and hope. It should fill us with sorrow because, in some ways, it, it puts into perspective how far away we live from that reality. We should yearn for being in the presence of God where everything about His will is perfectly obeyed all of the time. It it puts into perspective how far away we are from that here on the earth. We do not obey God's will perfectly. This is not about finger pointing as much as it is thinking about ourselves. We do not obey God's will perfectly. But of course, beyond that, we, we live in a world that spurns and runs away and is spiteful towards God's will. When we consider it from this angle, we we begin to understand, don't we, why the scriptures call call this the present evil age. Because you you look around this earth and you see how the the, the curse of sin has so permeated so that human beings run away from and ignore God's will. And it puts into perspective, really, when you think about from the majesty, the, the viewpoint of the majesty and the glory of God and the power of God, how sad it is that his creation ignores his will. But it also fills us with rejoicing. It also fills us with rejoicing. We are to rejoice for the obedience of God's people that is enjoyed in his presence. It should fill us with great joy to think of our brothers and sisters who have died in the Lord and who have graduated to the church triumphant who now do God's will perfectly. Many people probably whom you have known in this life, who have died in the Lord, now enjoying the presence of their risen Savior and obeying the will of God perfectly at all times. When we rejoice for this heavenly obedience of our brothers and sisters, we become more united with them. When the church militant rejoices for the obedience of the church triumphant, we become more united and more as one congregation. And it's from this joy that God empowers us to be more like that congregation, that assembly in heaven, fully without sin. And that's why we are to be filled with hope, not just sorrow and not just rejoicing, but filled with hope. For we know that one day we will join with that never-ending service to God in the perfect obedience with, of his will. 
But for the time being, we must be filled with gratitude for this in small measures as God gives grace to us. And we see little by little, small measures, small measures of seeing the sanctification uh, of God's people here on earth. The 12th chapter of Romans reminds us of this calling, I think, in a beautiful way. It says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Then it says this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. The point of all of it is this. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are acknowledging that God knows that we are imperfect and we are in need of his grace. He knew exactly the kind of mediator and high priest that we would need. He knew that we would need a high priest that would constantly be interceding for us. Because of all that he has done, we are to seek more and more to further our obedience to his will. But it happens, of course, by his grace. And that is why we pray for it. The posture of prayer is acknowledging our need for God and our need for his grace. God's will is good and it is right. He does all that he pleases. We are to rest in all that he does. We are to seek to honor and to live in obedience to what he has declared to us. One theologian put it this way in summary, speaking of this line of the Lord's Prayer. This petition, therefore, is that we may do the will of God as willingly, humbly, diligently, zealously, joyously, and steadfastly as the residents of heaven do, even though we shall not attain their perfection until we shall join them in glory. May we pray this petition, trusting that God will give grace that we might do so. We pray and trust that he will. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise. We name you as a God who is matchless in his might and power. May these words from from your word, these promises, these commandments sink down into our hearts and and remind us that we serve a, a wonderful covenant God who has our good and our salvation and our blessedness bound up with his glory. So we thank you for that and because of that we can trust you. Because of that we can know that you are bringing about the best result of your glory in this world and in human history. And with that you will bring our good and our salvation and blessedness. Father, keep us at then as we go. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We'll join together in song.